Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On this episode, wanted to talk about the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Sometimes it seems like even people inside the church treat our Lord and Savior as if he's a mythological character. Uh, Some people treat Jesus like they would Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. But Jesus is not only our Lord and Savior, he's also the third person of the Trinity, and he came through the annals of time meaning he came in real time. And he uh, not only existed, but he left his messages with us that we may get to know the Father and have a relationship with him. So here's my question. If Jesus came in real time, shouldn't there be some evidence that he came? Shouldn't there be some evidence that he influenced the twelve? Should there not be some evidence uh, that he had an influence over these individuals? And because of his influence, these same people were willing to follow him as well as die for him. So something happened in the first century. And that something was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before, before that, it was the crucifixion. So something happened, and if something happened in the first century, there should be evidence outside of the Bible 
that corroborates what the scriptures have already told us about some of the occurrences in the first century. So here we are. Christianity doesn't claim to have all events or evidence of events that happened in the first century. That's not what we're claiming. What we are claiming and arguing is that we believe the Bible is 100% true. We believe whatever the Bible affirms is true. We believe whatever the Bible negates is not true because the Bible negates it. And we believe that the historical events that occurred in the scriptures are true. Because God cannot lie. God is the author of the Bible. And so through faith, you and I, we believe in the scriptures and we believe in the trustworthiness of the New Testament. With all that being said, there are external evidence that also corroborates the things that the Bible articulates. Christianity, it is a world religion that consists of billions of converts. Believers can be found in places such as the Americas, Europe, Philippines, Sub-Saharan Africa, and many other parts of the world. Despite their cultural differences, these converts are united by belief in the historical Jesus. The fact is Jesus did come in real time, and history records this reality by the discovery of various manuscripts. Christ, again, is not mythological. He was and is a real person. And the claims surrounding him can be found in the annals of history uh, through eyewitness testimony, through archaeology, through experiential expressions. We know that Jesus came for real. According to scholars, there are some facts about the historicity of Jesus, which is hard to deny because it's, it's objective. Uh, we, all of us can take a look at the evidence and draw a common conclusion in the sense that Jesus was a real person and he influenced and impacted the lives of those who believe on him. And Jesus, because he's the son of God, because he's the son of man, because he's the uh, lily of the valley, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because he said, bury this temple and in three days I'm going to raise it up in reference to the resurrection. And because he accomplished these facts, these prophetic utterances, because he did what he said he was going to do, that same power that existed in the first century is accessible to us Today, we have both internal and external evidence, again, which supports and buttresses the biblical claims. We have data on the following. We have data on his birth. We have information about his life. We have information about his crucifixion. We have information about his death, his resurrection, his burial, which exists outside of the scriptures. So learning about the historical Jesus should solidify our belief in the Gospels as well as the epistles. More importantly, it will aid us in speaking to non-Christians about a Savior who came through time, through history, to redeem mankind, to save us all, to redeem mankind. Despite the claims of different skeptics who argue that we can't believe in the Bible claims or the historicity of Jesus Christ because 
uh, Paul does not mention Jesus early days. That's a whole nother argument is to me. It is a shallow. It's a shallow argument and it's circular. But to give a response, the Gospels talk about the early days of Jesus Christ. Is that not, not enough? God didn't call on Paul to regurgitate everything that the gospel writers wrote, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have information on his early days already found in the gospel. Then secondly, skeptics would say Christians invented the story about Jesus outside of Palestine around 100 A.D. And the response is, where is the evidence? Where is the historical proof that this concept of a historical Jesus was fabricated by uh, early Christians. And how can you have Christians if Christ did not come? Think about it. How can you have Christian followers if Christ never came? So skeptics will do whatever they can to try to uh, convince themselves that what they have seen, the evidence that's out there, is not true. But like Paul says, it's not that many people don't understand or comprehend the truth. It is the issue of suppression. Paul says they suppress the truth. They don't want to believe what's right there in front of them. So let's take a look at some of this evidence that shows us that Jesus came in real time. His life. When we look at his life, what evidence do we have about his life? There's a writing by Pliny the Younger who lived uh, from around 61 A.D. to about 113 A.D. His name was Gaius Plinius Cecilius Secundus. And he was a Roman administrator as well as a civil servant. He was also a politician, a lawyer, and an orator. His extant writings cover a wide range of topics. His letters written to Emperor Trajan is popular because it's one of the earliest writings which mentions Christianity. The letters were produced as uh, Pliny struggled with overseeing court cases and adjudicating um, on, uh, it, it, within his power uh, those that were Christians. And he also was the final authority in dispensing the justice based on his investigation on behalf of Rome. And in this intimate letter to Trajan, Pliny is seeking clarification. He wants to know how to deal with these Christians. Uh, he's shared with Trajan some of the things he's already done. So in this private letter, we see um, there are some things that Pliny mentions which are in sync with the New Testament. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So when I read this particular passage, you'll see that Pliny is not a fan of Christianity. Pliny was interested in uh, getting rid of this new movement because it threatened the religious uh, validity of Rome's theology, meaning he wanted 
uh, this, the, these Christians to convert to polytheism and worship the gods of the Romans. But there's a problem. These, many of these Christians would not deny Jesus Christ. Many of these Christians uh, displayed themselves as people who were set and rooted in worshiping Christ and would not abandon him. So let me read this excerpt from Pliny the Younger to Emperor Trajan. Pliny writes, he says, it is my practice, my Lord, to refer to you all matters concerning which I am in doubt. For who can better give guidance to my hesitation or inform my ignorance? I have never before participated in trials of Christians, so I do not know what offenses are to be punished or investigated or to what extent. And I have been not a little hesitant as to whether there should be any distinction on account of age or no difference recognized between the very young and the more mature. Is pardon to be granted for repentance? Or if a man has once been a Christian, is it relevant whether he is ceased to be one? Is the name itself to be punished even without offenses? or only the offenses perpetrated in connection with the name. So Pliny is trying to figure this out. Who should I punish if, if I know they're a Christian or I've been told that they're a Christian? Uh, should I punish the young, the old? Uh, should I punish them uh, if they're Christians by name only? He's trying to figure this out. So he's seeking the advice of Trajan. Meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have followed the following procedure. I interrogated them as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and third time, threatened them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed, for I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness, and inflexibility, obstinacy, surely deserved to be punished. There were others possessed of the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. I find that interesting because when Paul got in trouble, he knew what his uh, Roman citizenship could do. He knew the advantages of being a dual citizen. And as a Roman citizen, Paul spoke up for himself and knew his rights. So the principle there is, likewise, we have dual citizenship. We have citizenship in heaven and citizenship here on earth on a civic level. And we must know our rights and not allow people to trample over our rights. So I found that very interested that, uh, interesting that in this letter, um, Pliny gives those that are Romans a, a more of a leech, uh, meaning that he sent them to be adjudicated in the, in the right court. And he couldn't do it because they were Roman, Roman citizens. And Pliny writes, soon accusations spread because of these proceedings, as usually happens, and several incidents occurred. An anonymous document was published containing the names of many persons. Those who denied that they were or had been Christians, when they invoked the gods and words dictated by me, offered prayer with incense and wine to your image, which I ordered to be brought for this purpose together with the statues of the gods, and also cursed Christ none of which those who are really Christians can, it is said, be forced to do. These, I thought, should be discharged. 
Others named by the informer declared that they were Christians, but then denied it. A certain that they had been, but had ceased to be, some three years before, or this many years, some as much as 25 years. They all worship your image and the statues of the gods and curse Christ. They asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath not to do some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was clear, it was clear custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Even this, they affirmed, they have ceased to do after my, after my edict by which, in accordance with their instructions, I have forbidden political associations. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, for the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank, and also both sexes are and will be endangered. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the other cities, uh, not only to the cities, but also to the villages and farms. But it seems possible to check, uh, possible to check and cure it. It is certainly quite clear that the temple, which had been almost deserted, had become, had begun to be frequented. That the established religious rites, long neglected, are being, are being uh, committed and being. Uh, discovered. So again, this is a letter from um, Pliny the Younger to Trajan. Pliny the Younger to Trajan. And he mentions a lot here. Um, he's been, for the most part, indiscriminate when it came to persecuting these Christians. And the ultimate sentence is the death penalty, which he didn't mind um, unleashing on these Christians. He's concerned at the volume of Christians who are not willing to uh, deny Jesus Christ, but he called them obstinate. And he said that if he didn't put them in check, it will become a sort of a pandemic, uh, meaning that they would overtake the Roman religion. So we find the, a snapshot, rather, of the first century Christians. They worship. Uh, they ate food in church, and it could have been communion. And they were devout, meaning that they could be trusted. They kept their word. And then there were those who were fakers, those who were inauthentic believers, meaning they professed with their mouth Jesus, but when hard times came, they denied him. So we see what the scriptures talk about, that the uh, sheep would grow together inside the church with the goat. And in the last days, God would separate uh, the sheep from the goat, from the wheat from the tear. And so here we are, a snapshot of the early Christians, where even the two female, um, female Christians that he persecuted, we find out that they were called deaconesses. And that's one of the first or earliest uh, writings that I've discovered that used that name deaconess. And we know in the Bible, 
the uh, the seven were called deacons, meaning the, uh, the the deacons like Stephen and and the rest of them. They were called deacons. But here we are in this early letter, uh, which is probably the, the first um, part of the of, of the first century. We see um, we see this writing, and so it's very early. And some theologians believe that this work is even earlier than the earliest gospel, which is the gospel of Mark. So Jesus outside the New Testament, the influence. I, when I'm re- reading Pliny's letter, I can just imagine and see what he was talking about. These Christians would not denounce Jesus Christ. These Christians were devout uh, because of the effect of Jesus Christ. So uh, Trajan responds to Pliny. In response to receiving Pliny's letter, he says, You observed proper procedure, my dear Pliny, in sifting the cases of those who have been denounced to you as Christians. For it's not possible to lay down any general rule to serve as a kind of fixed standard. They are not to be sought out if they are, uh, if they are um, whoever denies uh, that, the, that, that he is a Christian and really proves it. That is, by worshiping our gods, even though he was under suspicion in the past, shall obtain pardon through repentance, but anonymously posted accusations ought to have no place in any prosecution, for this is both a dangerous kind of precedent and out of keeping with the spirit of our age. So Pliny is basically saying that if uh, one of these Christians convert and change their ways, then they can escape persecution. And also, if you... Um, if you have uh, uh, people that write letters anonymously saying that this person is a, Christ, is a Christian and you don't already have evidence to support it, you can't go out of your way to prosecute them. So he seemed fair, but again, uh, they were interested in getting these Christians to convert to their gods, which they weren't willing to do. So this is an important letter again from Pliny the Younger, which shows or demonstrates that uh, Christianity was blossoming in the first uh, century and a half. Uh, So we can take a look at it. This letter, again, written around A.D. 50, is uh, a historical letter. Now, Suetonius, who lived from 70 A.D. to 140 A.D., uh, his Roman name was Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus, who was a Roman writer. And he wrote different types of literature. He also wrote about the emperor of Rome. And one of the following writings about the, em- uh, about the emperor Claudius, he mentions the following. He's talking about Claudius. He, Claudius, expelled the Jews from Rome since they were always making disturbances because of the instigator Crestus, or in this case, Jesus Christ. And, and so, again, uh, we see uh, a manuscript that's dated between 70 to 140 A.D., where Christ, uh, uh, Christ is mentioned, and in uh, Pliny's case, Christians are mentioned. So, again, there is the influence of Jesus Christ in the first hundred years or uh, first uh, 70 or so years uh, after his death. So, this is uh, Suetonius mention, mentioning Jesus. When we talk about his crucifixion, there are in- internal uh, evidence as well as external evidence, but let's take a look at one of the external evidence. Uh, Thalos was a Greek writer 
who detailed the historical events around 55 AD. His writing involves an incidental record about the latter part of Jesus' life or the crucifixion. The work is no longer extant, meaning available to us. Uh, we know about Thalos through the writings of um, other writers, but most no- notably uh, a gentleman by the name of Sextus Julius Africanus. Uh, we find in Africanus's writing a mention of Thalos, and basically he's saying he disagrees with Thalos. And Africanus lived in the second century. And so the, the core of his disenchantment with Thalos writing was Thalos talked about the, um, the time period during Jesus' crucifixion when everything turned dark. But instead of t- treating it as a miracle, miraculous event, he credited it to a solar eclipse. And Africanus said, no, um, that's not correct. It was, uh, it was by the miraculous hands of God that um, the sky became dark. He said uh, at mid-noon or during noontime, it became dark, and only God can do that. So he, he had this uh, dissension with Thalos' writing, and basically he would just refute uh, uh, Thalos in the sense that he argued, number one, that it couldn't have been a solar eclipse because it was during the Passover. And during the Passover, you normally had a full moon. So uh, Thalos' argument that it was a solar eclipse uh, was disqualified because of the time that Jesus was crucified. Well, if you would like to hear more or read more about the historical Jesus, please email us, info at srministries.org. You can reach us that way. And again, we are so happy to have you listen to our show. We are praying for you. We ask that you pray for us and support us financially uh, by going to our website, srministries.org. And remember to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.